And now, live from Atlanta, Georgia, everyone's social media friend, it's Deb Creer. Every week, Deb talks with the movers and shakers, the experts, the best of the best in social media, bringing you all of the latest tips, techniques, and trends for successfully using social media. In social media, there's only one constant, Deb Creer. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer. I'm the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And, you know, as it seems to be more often the case than not, we're not really going to talk about social media, but that's the cool part about all this because it's my program. I can do what I want. But more importantly, I met this person on social media. It was actually an introduction in kind of one of those roundabout ways. But it goes to show that you never know where a great business connection is going to come from. And so always keep that in mind when you are using social media. So please today join me in welcoming Steve Lubetkin. Hi, Deb. Thanks for uh, having me here. Great. Well, this is going to be so much fun because as I said, we're not talking about social media. We're going to be talking, well, you know what? I'm going to wait. We're going to tease that a little bit. I'm going to tell people a little bit about you first and then we'll talk about why I'm so excited that you're um, going to be uh, interviewed today because it really is going to be so much fun and I'm looking forward to this. So anyhow, Steve Lubetkin is an award-winning professional podcaster and a video producer. In 2012, the Philadelphia Business Journal named him one of its social media stars for his work in podcasting. But he has also been on the cutting edge in using technology for communications and marketing for many decades. In fact, he was the first music writer to use a portable computer to cover a rock concert. It was a Grateful Dead concert in Englishtown, New Jersey in 1977. Steve has also included an email address on his business card since 1988. Holy cow. He has spent more than 30 years in corporate public relations and print and broadcast journalism. For 12 years, Steve has been managing partner of the Lubetkin Media Companies. The firm is best known for producing award-winning audio and video podcasts, corporate photojournalism, and other multimedia content. You can get information about him at thebusinessofpodcasting.com. And on Twitter, he is known as at Podcast Steve. But as I mentioned, here's the reason why I have Steve on today. He is a co-author of a fabulous book. So, and, and I loved reading it, read it yesterday, took notes, gonna, you know, gonna have to go back and read it again because it was so cool. So he co-authored this book with Toronto-based podcaster Donna Papacosta, and the book is called The Business of Podcasting, How to Take Your Podcasting Passion from the Personal to the Professional. So again, Steve, welcome. Thanks very much, Deb, and thanks for the kind words about the book. You know, it really was a very cool book, and especially because I've been doing the program here on Mile High Radio for several years, and it's kind of a hybrid. It, you know, it initially started out as a true in-studio live interview type of, of true radio format. It then evolved into, uh, I would call in, my guest and I would call in, that was when I moved to Atlanta and the station was in Denver. Technology didn't always cooperate with us, and so then I started pre-recording, and I know I can hear everybody gasping because they still think that we do it live, and yes, we promote it as being live, but hate to tell you folks, it is pre-recorded, and part of that is because it just, technology is, it makes things so much better that way. You know, we all love live radio and the glitches and the things like that that come with it, but trust me, it's much easier to do it this way, but then I take each program and I uh, subscribe to a service that then stores it for me, does everything that it needs to do from its little technical end, and then it uploads it to iTunes. So then I have it as a free podcast. So there's many ways that people can get this content. And so what fascinated me with Steve's book was I just kind of fell into doing this. You know, anybody who knows me knows that I love to talk. And more importantly, I have so much fun getting to meet all of my guests, whether it's virtually or in person. I, you know, I, I learn every week. And so this is very cool. 
But it was to, to read Steve's book, Steve and Donna's book, and to see in print verification that I was doing some stuff right. Woohoo. But also, you know, some, some other tips and techniques. And the reason I love this is because I have so many other business friends who say they would like to podcast. And, and so I think this is a perfect segue into not only podcasting, but maybe even turning it into a business, which is what Steve does. Um, so, you know, that very long introduction again, Steve, welcome. Hi there. I'm still here. <laughs> I know, I know. So what made you initially decide that you were going to get into this very strange world of podcasting? Well, you know, it started, Deb, as a um, what's the next chapter kind of a question. Mm -hmm. um, about 12 years ago, I was in the midst of a fairly successful corporate career in public relations and corporate communications. I had reached the sort of senior level of public relations in a large commercial bank, um, and uh, after surviving two bank mergers in the space of a five-year period, I ultimately found myself on the outside looking in, which is rather common in these large right. corporate mergers. You know, they keep you on staff until they figure out what the team should look like. And at some point, some, you know, it's like musical chairs. The music stops and some people are left mm -hmm. without a chair. Right. So, you know, at the age of 48, I was uh, looking for the next thing for Steve. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the choice was either to go back into another corporate gig or to try and do something differently. And my initial uh, thought was to put myself out as a corporate PR counselor, a, a strategic okay. counselor to senior executives. Been doing it for most of my career. I had about 30 years in doing that, and I thought I might be able to sell my expertise. But the reality is that in the public relations space, there are many, many very large global agencies competing for corporate dollars. And uh, mm -hmm. it was kind of hard to go up against, you know, a, a PR firm that could uh, put 300 people on an account against the one person shop. Right. Um, and so I really needed to find a, a, a niche that was a little bit narrower where I could really specialize and become the expert. And this mm -hmm. is right around the time in 2004, 2005, when what we now call social media, but back then called new media, was coming up over the horizon. And I'm talking about blogs and a little bit of Facebook, which hadn't quite become available outside of the college campuses, but um, blogs and then Twitter and also this new thing called podcasting. Um, and it was really my wife who had uh, heard a feature on uh, national public radio about podcasting very early on. Um, and said, you know, you have this radio background. I had worked in radio before I went into public relations. Um, mm -hmm. You should be really looking at this podcasting thing. So I, I took her advice because it's always good advice. And um, I started listening to podcasts. And what I heard was a lot of stuff that reminded me of the kinds of podcasts or the kind of radio shows I remember myself and my friends doing when we were in college back in the 70s and the early 70s mm -hmm. doing college radio shows. Um, there was a lot of stuff that was inside baseball, you know, people talking about what microphone they were using, people talking right. about the control room, most of which nobody cared about. The kids on the college campus, they just wanted you to play the Grateful Dead records, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I realized that this was a really powerful communications tool for corporate uh, organizations to deliver the expertise that they have to an audience in a very different way. Uh, but it had to sound better. And the stuff I was hearing sounded very amateurish. So, right. you know, I took my radio experience. I had worked, as I say, for about five years between college radio and a couple of commercial stations doing uh, radio production of uh, promos and, and some public affairs shows and also news broadcasting and news production and reporting. And I took those skills and I had to translate them into the digital world because I grew up in radio back in the days when we edited a magnetic recording tape on a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder using a razor blade and a grease pencil. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's very different today. It's much easier right. today with the uh, digital tools that we have. But I had to learn them. So I, I, mm -hmm. get, I got the information I needed. I learned how to use some of the digital tools. I started investing in digital production equipment like digital audio recorders. And we can talk about those. Um, and then learning how to do it. And within a couple of months of starting to do this, I picked up a couple of corporate clients, a couple of which are still with me, I'm happy to say, after 12 Great. years. And, you know, the, the whole thing has become uh, more about another communications tool. Mm -hmm. And so um, we produce these uh, audio podcasts and some video for clients so that they can get their message out 
to their audiences using the new technologies. And that's right. that's pretty much how I got started with it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's take a step back just for a second. What exactly is a podcast? Uh, that's a really good question, and there is actually a purist definition of a podcast. Uh, a podcast, broadly speaking, is an audio, or it can be a video file. Um, it, the audio files are typically the MP3 format, which people may be familiar with because it's the same format that's used when you download music from uh, Amazon or from iTunes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the difference is that a podcast is, is is an audio file that's distributed using the technology known as RSS feeds. Okay. And uh, this goes back to the, I guess, the early 2000s. Um, there was a fellow named Dave Weiner who invented the RSS technology. And basically all that is is sort of a, a piece of Internet code that shadows or mirrors a website. And if there's a change on that website, this shadow code, this RSS feed updates. Mm -hmm. uh, and by using a, a way of linking to that feed, people can be alerted to changes that take place on many, many websites without having to visit them individually. Oh, okay. And so the RSS feed became a very efficient way for people to monitor hundreds, if not thousands, of news websites. So when right. a new news story comes up, your feed reader would notify you that there was a new story posted, and you could check it and mm -hmm. see if it was relevant. And you could also use that feed to run keyword searches. So you could be very, mm -hmm. very efficient in the way that you monitor a whole bunch of different websites. Now, uh, in the early part of uh, the 2000s, Actually, I guess it goes back to the late 90s. There was a, a company called Pointcast Technologies that mm -hmm. came up with a great way to distribute news and information to people. They sent out a free piece of software for people to put on their computers, uh, and you could select the kinds of news you wanted to be alerted to. Ah. And it sounded great, and a whole bunch of people signed up for it and put this little client software on their computers. The problem mm -hmm. with the Pointcast model was it actually pushed a very large blob, if you will, of heavy, high, uh, high storage size content, oh, like okay. video files and audio files and pictures. And it pushed them physically across the internet to whoever was requesting it. Oh. And it did this several times a day. And what happened was in the late 90s, um, Bandwidth on the internet was at a premium. Most companies didn't have the really high-speed connections that exist today. Mm -hmm. And they also had limited storage space on, space right. on the corporate servers. And these, these blobs of information started hitting corporate servers where you know hundreds of people in a company had signed up for PointCast and were getting these mm -hmm. blobs multiple times because it didn't just send one blob to share with everybody. It sent an individual blob to each subscriber. Um, and so the, the corporate uh, information technology people simply just blocked PointCast. Right. And the model, mm -hmm. the business model, which was based on selling advertising to go with the uh, blobs of information, went away. Mm -hmm. So uh, people were looking for a way. How do you deliver video and audio without running up against these, these limits? And mm -hmm. it was actually Adam Curry, who was one of the first VJs on MTV, who partnered with Dave Wiener, the father of the RSS feed, to figure mm -hmm. out a way to create some code in this RSS technology to indicate to people where an audio or a video file might be located. And okay. so for the person publishing the file, you didn't have to send it to people. You, couldn't, you didn't have mm -hmm. to attach it to an email. You didn't have to send it out in, in a push technology that would overcome people's servers or overwhelm them. Um, you were just sending them a reference to the file. And that became a very efficient way of distributing audio. And because mm -hmm. at the time, the Apple iPod was the primary way that people consumed audio content, the mm -hmm. idea of broadcasting to an iPod gave us the word podcast. Ah. And so that's kind of how we got there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has grown rather dramatically, as you can imagine, since then. And uh, many, many people are podcasting. The last time I looked, I think there were about 60,000 active podcasts, most of which are chasing that dream of making a living from podcasting. Right. And it was mm -hmm. about uh, 
two and a half, three years ago when uh, Donna came to me. We had known each other through social media and we had met a couple of times at conferences. And she came to me and said, I have this idea for a book, but it's not your conventional how-to podcast book. And mm -hmm. when she told me the concept, I said, this is absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. um, there are many people who think that the only business model for making money from podcasting is to become very clever and become a podcast host, put out a whole bunch of content and get very popular and then sell advertising. Right. And the problem with the advertising model for most podcasters is it's based on the traditional broadcasting advertising model, which is a, mm -hmm. a, a cost per thousand, the, the so-called CPM pricing. Right. And for most podcasts, you're not getting the tens of thousands or millions of downloads that are required to make it make money for you. Mm -hmm. You're getting a smaller amount of, of uh, downloads, mostly from friends and family, but uh, people do pick up a following. Um, but it's usually a much smaller following. And mm -hmm. so uh, all of the podcast advertising networks, and Donna and I had both tried various ones uh, for our own podcasts, um, you know, there's an enormous amount of work involved. You have to prepare the podcast. You have to designate a, a, a time point in the podcast where you're going to do a commercial. You have to sometimes write the commercial and voice right. it. You have to do all kinds of links and link backs on your website to, for the tracking purposes. And by the time you get done with all that work, you end up getting a very small amount of money for the time that you're investing. Mm -hmm. right. So it's not a terribly profitable model. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the two of us uh, viewed podcasting as a communication service that we can provide to clients. And so what we do and what we describe in the book is this business model that says, you know, you're a podcaster. Okay, you do your podcast because you're passionate about doing it. It's fun and you have a regular audience that listens to your podcast. And now maybe you've acquired some recording equipment. You can now also, as a revenue stream, look for clients who need podcasts created for them. Right. And that's primarily the, the focus of the book is building a practice as a podcast producer, which mm -hmm. is what both of us do on a regular basis. Right. You know, and, and I find it fascinating because a lot of people like to do it themselves and, you know, and, and sometimes that works just absolutely perfect. But in many cases, you know, say it is a corporation, they you know, or even an individual, they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the equipment, you know, all of those various things, but they still have a message that they want to get out there. And so that's what I like about what you do is you work with them to get that message out there. That's absolutely true. Um, one of the things I found during my corporate career and subsequently as a, a podcast consultant on the outside, you know, companies often when they see that there's a new shiny social media tool like podcasting, they embrace it enthusiastically. Um, mm -hmm. Someone volunteers to be the podcast producer. And it's right. usually in, in large corporations, it's usually someone in either the public relations or the IT department, the information technology. Mm -hmm. um, and more often than not, they, they give it to IT because it has to do with the Internet. Right. And the people who work there are very excited about new technologies and they're extremely dedicated. But what tends to happen is it's added on on top of their regular duties. And so mm -hmm. an information technology person who goes around and does, you know, three hours of interviews with corporate executives on a digital recorder brings it back to his cubicle or her cubicle and uh, is ready to transfer it to the computer for editing. And the boss says, hey, you've got to go update somebody's computer or someone needs a new mouse or we have to load this software somewhere. And they get mm -hmm. distracted from it because it's not right. their primary duty. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, the, the company is willing to pay and buy the equipment and they buy really high quality equipment, whether it's uh, digital broadcast recorders or uh, high end video cameras, they even built studios sometimes. But it goes by the wayside when something mm -hmm. else comes along. And so... The opportunity is there for external producers to say, look, we can give you a turnkey solution. All you have to do is show up with your mm -hmm. subject matter expert in front of our microphone and we'll handle the rest. Right. And that's been very successful for both Donna and me um, mm -hmm. for the last decade or so. 
Well, and one of the things you talked about in your book that I found fascinating is that you attend, and it's, it's, it's a way to kind of expand what the, the podcast market audience, all those various things. You attend conferences and do podcasts. And I just, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So tell us a little bit more about kind of what happens with that. Well, you know, this actually goes back to when I was a teenager, when I was first bitten by the radio bug. And um, I remember one of my uh, one of my mother's friends gave her a tape she wanted me to listen to. It was an audio tape recording of a speaker at a conference. And I thought that was the coolest thing, that someone had actually recorded a speech at a conference. And I envisioned myself building some kind of a business, which, you know, in the 1970s would have meant bringing an extremely heavy reel-to-reel tape recorder right. out to mm-hmm. wherever this speech was being held. And if you wanted to sell the speech copies, the recordings to people, it would have meant sitting back in the studio making copies of reel-to-reel tapes endlessly, mm-hmm. uh, one at a time. Uh, so that wasn't very practical, but but it it was a sort of a kernel of an idea that stayed with me until mm-hmm. we got to where where podcasting is. And you know, companies spend an enormous amount of money and resources and effort putting on conferences and seminars. They gather people together. They you know, there's all the process of uh, inviting people, the mass mailings and emailings that go out, and the registration process that takes place, and then setting up the room and the venue and ordering lunch and everything else and then the event takes place and everybody goes home and there's no takeaway there's nothing left and you know from our point of view that's valuable content you've got all these speakers together in one place Mm -hmm. record it and make it into something that can be available to people Um, increasingly you know as the millennials uh, not only join the workforce but start to move into middle and senior management as they are now the oldest of the millennials are in their mid-30s and you know, mm-hmm. going on into senior management positions, um, you know, they expect content to be available on demand. They don't, right. they don't, uh, they're not as comfortable with appointment viewing or appointment listening. Mm-hmm. They want to consume the content when it's convenient for them, not when it's convenient for you to deliver it. And so mm-hmm. um, this is why, you know, many clients uh, come to me and say, we want to do a webinar. And I say, you know, we can do the webinar, but all of the effort that goes into recruiting people to attend a webinar, a live webinar presentation, um, and then you get a very poor showing because usually you have to do them for free. Mm -hmm. Because if you do a webinar and you charge people, nobody signs up. If you do a webinar and you say it's for free, you get 120 or 130 people sign up. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then the day of the webinar, you know, it's Thursday at 2 o'clock. And at 1.30, someone who was planning to listen, the boss comes in and says, I'm sorry, you can't listen to that webinar. I need you to go do this thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, because it's free and it's discretionary, a lot of people drop away. And you end up with maybe Mm -hmm. 10 or 15 people on the phone. Right. And so my argument is instead of going through all of that effort for a very small showing, create a podcast (laughs) Put it up mm-hmm. on your website and let people have it whenever they want it. And so right. a couple of our clients have been very successful doing that. Um, we do podcasts for a uh, public affairs and news website here in New Jersey called NJ Spotlight, which is mm-hmm. um, covering public policy and legislative issues in New Jersey. Um, these are uh, former editors and reporters from a couple of the major daily newspapers in New Jersey who recognize mm-hmm. the need to move into the digital world sooner rather than later. They, and mm-hmm. they've been in business for about uh, six and a half years now. And they do a series of roundtable uh, public policy discussions around the state. We do some of them in oh. video. Uh, we just mm-hmm. finished one uh, the week before last, uh, an all-day conference with multiple sessions on how to redevelop and re-energize New Jersey's urban environments and, and some of its uh, poorer cities. And with mm-hmm. all kinds of panelists, experts on uh, various subjects, I was at the event recording podcasts, and I was also able to interview three former governors of New Jersey wow. in one sitting. Uh, it was mm-hmm. literally they were right there, and I just said, "Come on over, let's let's have a chat." Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, it's an it's a real opportunity, a conference or a seminar, to not only record the sessions themselves, but also to record interviews with people who are either panelists or people attending who are right. uh, thought leaders in their field. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's important to note that it really does need to be a dedicated person. You know, it's not your event planner who's going to go off and do something oh, else or, true. you know, all of those various things. And so whether they hire someone like you or do it themselves, 
it needs to be a person that that's all they're doing. And then that's where you get those cool little side interviews and you know, and, and all of those things, you know, and, and whether it's somebody who attended and wants to, you know, be reminded of what they heard or saw, or more importantly, people who were unable to attend, but what that information, I mean, you know, I, I don't even remember the last time I actually physically went to a conference because most conferences now that I'm interested in record it. And so then I can watch on demand. Now, the trick is, do I remember? Mm, eh, sometimes, sometimes not. But, you know, that's probably often a function of they're not reminding me that it's there. But, you know, it, it is a very cool thing to have that that you can look back at. And whether it's, you know, evergreen content that they can look back at for years or has, you know, an, an expiration date, it's a great way to keep people engaged in getting that information. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, um, you know, we've we've had uh, resistance from some uh, organizations that their business model is based on getting people to buy tickets to attend right. these events. And mm -hmm. they're concerned mm -hmm. that if they offer podcasts, it's going to cannibalize the paid attendance. And, you know, my response to that is for most of these organizations, which are typically like chambers of commerce or other trade associations, the value of the event is not only the content being delivered, but the networking right. opportunities the, yes. of being mm -hmm. there face to face. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for members of the organization or people who are enthusiastic about that organization, they're, they're going to want to try to be there if mm -hmm. they can. But if they can't be there for the networking, they at least would like to partake of the content. Mm -hmm. And so the organizations that do decide to offer the content, they don't see a decline in their attendance. And I've looked at right. that with a couple of organizations we've done podcasts for. The attendance actually grew over the time mm -hmm. with, that we started podcasting for them. The, the paid attendance did not go down. Hmm. Well, you were showing such great content that people thought, oh, I can't miss that. That's exactly right. The content is really good for most of these organizations. They spend a lot of time getting it right. And why not showcase it? Why not make mm -hmm. it available to people so that it's portable and they can take it with them? And it has a longer shelf life that way. Right. You know, and, and we're talking about big conferences, but this can also work for something as small as, say, a sales team meeting where you have recorded it and, and uh, you know, then you've got uh, the ability to have people access it at a later date. You know, so it doesn't it doesn't have to be something gigantic. It can be something that really is a fairly small thing. Absolutely true. One of the... Um, one of the less touted uses of podcasting is for internal communications or employee communications. And that is, mm -hmm. you know, the town hall meetings that take place internally. Um, those are always a challenge because if you have a global corporation, it's not practical to bring all of your employees from right. around the world into a single location. So mm -hmm. typically what companies do is they either video conference them around the world or they record them and then deliver mm -hmm. it through a, a global intranet, an internal network of some right. kind. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and if you truly are global, you know, it, there's no way to do a live event because, you know, you've, you've got people just at so many different time zones. And more importantly, you don't want them stopping work in a lot of cases. I mean, you know, there's kind of this, you, you want them to have the information, but they need to be doing their jobs. So if it's content that can be watched, you know, on on demand, you're probably going to have a much bigger impact. Yeah, that's absolutely the value of podcasting in, in this context is being able to time shift it to when it's convenient. And also, mm -hmm. again, to make it portable because people can if you if you make a video, people have to be kind of tied to a computer or a tablet right. of some sort. But if you make it into an audio podcast and particularly if it's a, a corporate event like uh a seminar where it's primarily people talking to you. It's not mm -hmm. terribly exciting visually. You know, talking mm -hmm. heads are not the best kind of television, although we see a lot of it on the cable channels. Um, mm -hmm. for, for these kinds of events, an audio podcast can be extremely effective and people can listen to it while they're driving. They can listen to it while they're on a treadmill at the gym. Um, it gives them a lot of options for consuming the content that you don't have if, if you make it into video. Right. You know, and, and it's funny because I think the uh, preconceived notion might be that video is better. But, you know, you're, you're right. If it's just somebody standing at the podium and even if they've got slides that are going, you know, if they're if they're a good speaker, you don't need to see the slides, um, you know. And, and so you know, just to sit there and watch the talking head 
Eh. You know, I have people who tell me that they download the podcast of, of our programs here and listen to them while they're working out, while they're in their car, all of those things that they absolutely could not do if it was video. Yeah, very common, very common. So, you know, let's kind of, you know, we, we've talked about how you can help uh, organizations, but let's let's take it back to the person who's wanting to do it themselves. And, you know, I, I love in your book, you talk about equipment. And that is one of those things that is so absolutely critical and so overlooked. You know, and we can tell right away. And it, it's really funny. I've, you know, one of the, the sayings that people say is, we'll forgive bad video, but we will not forgive bad audio, you know, and, and I think that is so true. So, you know, if you're going to do this, it is an investment, you know, we're not talking a lot, but it is kind of an investment. So kind of talk us through what someone who, you know, small business owner, you know, large corporation, whoever, they're wanting to do this themselves. What equipment and software are they going to need to at least come across as somewhat professional. Sure. One of the things that we uh, offer, and uh, people can get this from the website for the book, the website is thebusinessofpodcasting.com, is a checklist of equipment that a podcaster might want to keep in what I call a go bag, a, a, mm -hmm. a briefcase or some kind of a carrying case that they just throw in the trunk of the car and keep with them at all times. Okay. Um, and one of the things that Donna and I both advocate for is dedicated recording tools. Um, mm -hmm. Most podcasters start out recording directly into their computer, either using a built-in microphone in a laptop or they might go and buy one of the popular USB-connected microphones that plugs into the USB port on the computer. Mm -hmm. The problem with recording on the computer, and you know, I have a fairly sophisticated uh, editing workstation in my own studio here, and even though I know what I'm doing and I have sophisticated software, I still run into situations where, despite my best efforts, the computer decides it wants to stop and reboot in the middle right. of the recording. And mm -hmm. so, you know, one of the things that I, I think is essential, particularly for location recordings, is a, a separate digital audio recorder. And there are a number of broadcast quality audio recorders, and we talk about them in the book, uh, that people can buy. They're, they're under $300 for the most part, um, which mm -hmm. allow you to record with either built-in stereo microphones or external microphones that have the professional broadcast connector that's known as an XLR connector. So you can mm. get high quality microphones and get really good quality sound. And mm -hmm. the advantage of that is, again, you know, in a critical recording situation, you don't want the computer to reboot in the middle of your interview. Right. Um, and it almost always seems to happen that way. Um, another thing I, I see from people a lot, the question, what kind of microphone should I plug into my smartphone in mm -hmm. order to do podcast interviews? And my response is, well, none. You probably shouldn't use right. your smartphone to record those interviews because I know people have had success doing it. I know that it is possible. But every time I've tried to record an interview or any kind of an event using a smartphone, the battery either dies mm -hmm. or the phone decides to just crash the recording. Right. Because the phone is doing. Out of space. Yeah, and the phone mm -hmm. is doing so many other things, particularly for an yes. iPhone which is mm -hmm. a, a device with a sealed, limited memory, um, mm -hmm. you're going to run up against that memory limit very, very quickly if you've got other stuff, including you know, your music collection and your photo collection on your phone. Mm -hmm. So right. using that as a recording device is dicey at best. Um, mm -hmm. Again, I, I advocate strongly for the use of external, standalone, dedicated devices for both uh, audio recording and for video recording. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and we're actually doing this computer to computer. We're using Skype. And, you know, and, and for the most part, Skype is a fairly stable platform. Um, one of the things that you clearly have to have is a very good Internet connection. Um, you know, and, and, and I actually upgraded not long ago because the, the provider that I had, it, stuff slowed down, stuff didn't, you know, and, and I've learned the tricks of make sure nothing else is running at the same time. You know, close your mail get off of Facebook and, and Twitter, you know, close all of those things. Don't be giving the computer other things that it's trying to do. And then, you know, the always ever funny, turn the modem off and turn it back on type of, of thing. But, 
you know, it's and and so it is possible to do all of this. And and you know, I'm I'm not going to remotely record, and and so the computer works just fine. But I have invested in other things. You know, I've got probably obviously the the biggest investment is the microphone. You know, never ever will I use the microphone that is attached to my computer. You know, even when I'm just skyping for fun, I use my external mic, and it's a a big blue snowball. Cost me, I think it was ninety eight dollars, and you know, and it's a round thing, you know, and, and, and then I have the pop filter so that when I pronounce certain words, it doesn't go. That's why it's called a pop filter. Um, but one of the things that I invested on right away, when I got the, the, the microphone, it came with this very pretty little chrome stand and it was so cute. I thought, Oh, isn't this pretty? And then I discovered that every time I touched my desk, it sounded like there was an explosion. And, you know, and and that was just because it it was transmitting up those cute little chrome legs. So I did buy the swing arm and attached it to that. And, and, you know, and and so it's, it's a freestanding microphone, like you would see typically in, in like a radio station. And then I use headphones. I'm not listening to the program over my speakers on the computer. And I tell my guests this, you know, you, I'm, you're not going to go out and buy the expensive microphone, but you know, don't be using the microphone just from your computer and, you know, please don't you know, be listening to it that way. And the, and the nice thing is my guests are all pretty much at the level where they have at least some basic equipment. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm doing something very similar to what you're doing with the boom microphone. And, um, I have a, a high quality broadcast mixer and it's all going into a very high performance computer that again, even though it's a high performance computer, sometimes it also burps or chokes right. or something, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm also running a backup on a digital audio recorder. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, those are the kinds of things you learn through painful experience that you need to right. do. Right. You know, every one of my programs, I actually, when I'm recording them, they're just going to my hard drive. And, but the second I am done, I immediately copy that to the cloud. And, you know, and, and so then I've got, then I have, I have two uh, versions of it. But, you know, the, the nice thing is that way, if my hard drive dies, it's on the cloud. You know, and, and actually the only thing that I keep on my hard drive for the most part are programs um, because I learned the hard way. You know, you, you need to get it to the cloud. But that, of course, then assumes that you've got a stable Internet connection and, you know, and things do fail. You know, and, and so if you're doing this for your business, you know, or or you're doing it as your business, you have to keep those things in mind. So, you know, promoting something as live, that always gets tricky because that's where the gremlins will appear. Well, you know, there, there's an old saying that there are two types of computer users, those who have had a hard drive cl- crash and those who will. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and technology fails us. I mean, Skype is free software, and, you know, and, and we all have to remember that. So it doesn't always work perfect, but it's, you know, it tends to be 99.9, you know, and I'm going to jinx myself, but it, it tends to work really pretty well. Well, it's been working so far for us. I know, I know. Well, but of course, the tricky thing with Skype is it doesn't record. So what software do you recommend using to be able to actually record the conversation? Well, you know, the holy grail of Internet recording, uh, Deb, is getting a decent quality recording. And Mm -hmm. the uh, options available for Skype are uh, they're okay. Uh, most right. of them, I've tried them, and they work okay. But when, when mm-hmm. you're searching for that broadcast quality connection, um, it, it still leaves a bit to be desired. What I found right. works for me uh, is a bit of a complicated setup that involves two USB mixers. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in order to properly edit a Skype conversation, you want to have each person on a different audio track in your recording software. Okay. And now some of the uh, add-ons for Skype work that way. Uh, Pamela does that, and uh, Evaer, E-V-A-E-R, also does Mm -hmm. that. It will separate the audio onto two separate tracks. But the quality of those tracks is usually a lot less than what you can get if you record it yourself directly. Mm -hmm. And so what I've managed to set up is is a, uh, a patchwork of routings through the computer that gets the uh, left channel of Skype, or, or in other words, my side of the conversation into the left mm-hmm. channel and the other side of the conversation into the right channel. 
The advantage of doing that in the editing process is that during the times when one person is not speaking, you can mute the audio from that channel and get just the one channel of the person who's talking to be the ah. only channel that's, that's audible. And that dramatically cleans up the quality of the Skype connection uh, in the recording because there's noise and pops and little things mm -hmm. going on on the opposite side when it's silent. Um, and so it becomes a, a lot easier to edit. It's also advantageous if the two people on the uh, conversation happen to talk over each other. You can actually split the tracks and separate that out so that they are not stepping on each other's words so much. So, so that's the way I do it. And I also run, as I mentioned, a uh, backup recorder that's running directly from the mixing board uh, mm -hmm. and is not going through the computer. So if, if something happens, and I actually had this happen earlier today, uh, when I was recording a podcast for a client where the uh, recording software and I use Adobe Audition, uh, the software crashed in the middle mm -hmm. of the recording. But it didn't oh. matter because the backup recorder was continuing to record. Right. So mm -hmm. it wasn't like a major calamity, but it was it was more of an annoyance. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I use Pamela and which I just find hilarious that I use the software that is a person's name. Um, and, but it was recommended to me by people who use Skype a lot. I don't break it out to, into separate channels. Um, and in fact, I didn't know that I could do that with Pamela. So hmm, now I have to check that out. I use the paid version because the free version is too short. If I remember right, you can only record like five minutes at a time, but it's, you, it's a one-time fee. This is not an annual licensing. So, and it's well under a hundred dollars. So definitely worth that. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, so, so we've got the audio. Now, what the heck do we do with it? What software can we, can be used to edit? Because nothing is perfect. I mean, you know, like, for example, with us, I started the recording the second we started talking. Clearly that needs to be edited out. You know, I might cough, you might sneeze, we might have a doorbell. There might be all sorts of things that need to happen. And if you're truly doing this as something that you're going to, you know, either to use for business, you probably are going to have an introduction, maybe introductory music, you know, an outtake. We'd mentioned earlier adding commercials, things like that. So what software do you recommend to edit the, the product? Well, you know, there, there are many, many um, options out there, and many of them are either low or no cost. The probably most popular entry-level software for podcast editing is a program called Audacity. Mm -hmm. And Audacity is priced exactly right for the beginning podcaster. It's free. Right. And it provides a very sophisticated interface for editing audio. And you can do things mm -hmm. like have multiple tracks. Uh, so you can put a music bed underneath your intro and your outro. Mm -hmm. You can put uh, volume envelopes on the music bed to lower the volume of the music underneath your voice and so forth. You can do all that stuff. A lot of nice features and even um, a really, really good noise removal tool in mm. Audacity. And there are times mm -hmm. when the more sophisticated and expensive software that I use hasn't been able to help me with certain noise mm. problems. And I go back and run it through Audacity and I'm able to dramatically remove uh, the problem that, that's been you know, driving me crazy for that particular project. But for, um, you know, as you, as you progress, as you advance in your podcasting skills, you're always going to want something a little bit better. Right. And, uh, you know, as you move up the food chain, I'm, I moved from audacity about seven or eight years ago, um, into, uh, I, because I had started editing video and I was using a program to edit video called, uh, Sony Vegas Pro, which is a video mm -hmm. editing tool, um, which I discovered has a very credible audio editor built right oh. in. Mm -hmm. And so why try to learn multiple programs? Let me just set up, because after all, an audio podcast is simply a video without video. Mm -hmm. And so for a number of years, I was editing the audio podcasts in Vegas as well, because it has all the the necessary plugins for sound processing and editing and polishing. And I didn't have to learn different keystroke commands. Mm -hmm. So I, I went with that for a long time. And then um, some changes have come along in that software as it's migrated to a new owner. And I just decided I was already purchasing a subscription to the Adobe Creative Cloud for my photography work. 
Um, and I felt like, you know, I was wasting a lot of the programs that I had access to, including the audio and the video programs. And so I've migrated mm -hmm. into Adobe Audition and Premiere Pro, which are the two programs. Audition is the sound program and uh, Premiere is their uh, video platform. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they have some very sophisticated capabilities and I've been very pleased with the results. They're not for everybody. They have a steep learning curve, which I'm still struggling with. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're going to be producing sound or video on a professional basis, you need to at least be aware of the professional tools that are out there. Right. And, and that's why we're going into detail on this, because, you know, if you're doing this for business, either for your business or as a business like Steve does, you know, providing these services to other organizations, you have to come across as professional. So you have to use professional equipment and software. And again, folks, we're not talking break the bank. You know, this is all together. I think we probably haven't even come up to $500 worth of, of expense. So, you know, it, it's something that is well worth it to take the time, especially if you're the only person in your area that's providing something or at your company, you need to learn this. And I've discovered with some of the tools, they have very good support systems themselves and then of course there is that little thing called YouTube which you, know, you can frequently find you know that what you're looking for on YouTube you know somebody will have created a video on how to do it there almost certainly there's a uh, YouTube is like everybody's help desk these days I know and see there I just had to mute my mic and cough so that way I didn't have to edit that out but you know it's it is something that people do need to keep in mind is if you're doing this for money or even just as a professional business tool, which is, is what I use it as, it does have to sound professional. And so I asked you to, you know, you know, you kind of, I go out on a limb here and do this, but to listen to a couple of my podcasts and, you know, my, my broadcast on Mile High and give me some feedback because it is something that I'm continually learning. And so to be able to learn from an expert like you, hey, do this different or <laughs> hopefully this was cool. Um, you know, so so what did you think when you listened to several of my, my programs? And it's okay to be mean. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Well, I'm not going to be mean, but we may have to take a tape stop because I didn't have the time to listen to them. Oh, no. <laughs> but I will, I will listen to them uh, following this conversation and I'll okay. give you some feedback offline. Great. You know, and so, uh, you know, I'll just kind of say, you know, that I, I've gone part way is maybe the, the best way to, to do this. And it's, and, and it is, you know, it's not just the equipment and, and things like that. It is on a big part of it is on preparation. So let's talk about that. So whether you're the interviewee or the interviewer, how do you prepare to do a podcast? Well, I know as a, as a podcast interviewer, I generally want to get the biography of the person I'm interviewing mm -hmm. because I then like to write the introduction that I'm going to use for the podcast. And one of the things that um, is a, I guess it's a pet peeve of mine because I come from a radio broadcasting background. There are a lot of mm -hmm. people in podcasting that don't, don't think this is a big deal at all, but I, I think it's the host's job to prepare the audience for who they're going to hear from. I think right. that it's, and you hear this on a lot of podcasts where the host will say, so Steve, tell me what you do and who you are. And I, I and you go, uh -bah, uh -bah, uh -bah. well, no, I think that's, <laughs> you know, I'm perfectly prepared to answer the question, but I think that from the standpoint of the listener, it's, it's lazy journalism. You know, right. you don't hear, for example, Terry Gross on fresh air say to the guest, who are you and what do you do? Terry mm -hmm. always has an introduction ready. She explains who the person is and why you should care about the interview before the mm -hmm. interview starts. And, you know, one of the things I do with a lot of my interviews is I do that introduction in post-production. Ah. Um, I will tell the person that I'm interviewing, we're going to just have the conversation and I will interview you. Uh, we'll talk. And when it's over, when I do the post-production editing on this, I will put the introduction on. Mm -hmm. And that gives me a chance to reflect on what they said during the interview and incorporate some of that into the introduction if it's relevant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's really important to be prepared to do that. Um, I think certainly, uh, you know, someone should be prepared, uh, familiar with the work of the person that, uh, that they're interviewing. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it just shows that you've taken the time to find out something about the subject and also to be inquisitive and have questions that you think the average audience member listening would want to ask the person if they had the opportunity. Right. Well, and when I prepare for a program, I ask the person for their bio. Uh, you know, sometimes it's too long. <laughs> you know, I, I do, you know, they give me war and peace when I really just wanted something much shorter. But by getting it in advance, it's exactly what you said. I can go through, I can select what I like, you know, I can rearrange, I can do whatever. But I also look at their website. You know, I, I research them so that I can ask those questions or say, you know, hey, back, you know, you, you wrote this blog post that talked about, you know, whatever. And if it's a book, I read the book. And I can't tell you how many times after an interview, the person has said, thank you so much for actually having read the book. To me, it's just part of my homework, and and it baffles me that somebody hasn't taken the time to do that. So if you're doing these podcasts yourselves, it, it one thing, it's a show of respect, you know, and and so do that research and, and read what they have, have it sent to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, podcasting is a very new art form for most people. Mm-hmm. Most people are not coming from a professional radio background, uh, and so they're learning as they go. And Mm -hmm. the early stages of it are, well, you know, I don't know anything about this topic, so I'll just fake it until I make it. And that Mm -hmm. can work. And it's a style. And and a lot of people seem to like that style because I hear from people all the time that, you know, their listeners love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I just come from an old school background that says, you know, it's a radio show. It's just being distributed differently. And you should take the time to produce it to sound as close to an NPR program as you can come without mm-hmm. being a real NPR broadcaster. I mean, that right. to me is the gold standard for this kind of broadcasting mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's long form talk radio. Mm-hmm. And if it's done intelligently and it's done with good production values then people will listen, you may not right. get the viral audience of 10 or 20 million, but you know, one thing that um, I didn't mention is that for a lot of corporate clients, they're not looking for that 10 or 20 million people. It's not a mass right. market. There, there mm-hmm. may be 3,000 people in the entire country who need that product or service. And mm-hmm. if they get a, a large fraction of that 3,000 people, that's a huge win for them. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, and depending on the, the software that you're using to host, you can get all sorts of information. Um, I use a software called uh, Buzzsprout. Did I say that right? Isn't that nah, I better look this up really quick because I want to make sure I have it right for them. Um, yes, Buzzsprout. And it gives me all these statistics. And so it's it's fun, but it's also very interesting to me to go back through and look to see what country somebody was in. I have, for some reason, I have a very dedicated group of listeners in Munich. I don't know why. It's not like the program's in German. But, you know, and it, it, San Francisco is also a big audience, you know, things like that. So if you're doing this, again, either as a service that you're providing or as, as something at your own company, you need to look at those stats to see, are you hitting the right market? You know, if, if I've got say, a whole bunch of listeners in Munich, well, maybe there's a reason and I need to explore that further. Yeah, we had um, one of my early podcasting clients was a trade association in the printing industry. Their members ah. were uh, mm-hmm. companies that owned large print plants and, and printed, you know, lots of big volume publications and things. And some of the podcasts we were doing were about um, the operations of a print plant, you know, mm-hmm. operational efficiency, financial efficiency, right. and so forth. And we noticed we were getting a lot of uh, downloads from, of all places, China. And oh. I went to the client and said, you know, are we getting these because, you know, maybe there are some people in China who are using these to practice their English? And they said, right. no, there are actually some very large printing companies in China. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turned out, from their perspective, that was good because they were conveying useful information that uh, they believed was getting out to to printing companies that could use it. Right. You know, and and that also could have been an indicator that maybe you the the program needed to be in Chinese. You know, or at least you know a, a shortened version of it or a translated version or well, something. Well, that's a that's a whole level of complication that we haven't had to address with most of our clients yet. <laughs> But you're absolutely right. It's at, at some point, that is going to be a question. If you want to be uh, reaching out globally, do you need to transcreate? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, one of the things that I wanted to mention quickly before, because we've got about five minutes left, but 
it, it dawned on me as we were doing this and we were talking about, you know, things that you're putting, you know, something at the start of your program and intro, you're putting, you know, and, and out, you know, all those various things. So many people want to add music and you didn't mention music, but talk about the legality of just plunking music in, you know, oh, I like this song. But, you know, when can we legally use music as part of our podcast? Yeah, the the uh, rule of thumb is if it's music you hear on the radio, you can't use it. And I know okay. there are differences of opinion on this, but basically copyrighted music um, is licensed in mm-hmm. a number of different ways. And there are at least three releases you need to get for each mm-hmm. piece of recorded music. And so what we tell people to do is not try to use popular songs or their favorite song from high school or college. Um, There is a whole genre of music called royalty-free music or pod-safe music. Um, You don't see pod-safe as much as you used to, but royalty-free is where you want to go. And you actually pay a fee. And it's usually not terribly expensive. You can get a CD of royalty-free music for a, between 50 and and $100, and it'll have mm-hmm. 10 or 12 tracks on it. And if you go to certain places uh, that sell this, uh, you get a license that allows you to use it in whatever way you want an unlimited mm-hmm. number of times. Now, there are some royalty-free music outlets that require you to fill out what are called uh, log sheets or cue mm. sheets where mm-hmm. every time you use a song, you have to write it down and you have to submit it to them for tracking purposes. We tend to shy away from those because it's just administratively a pain in the neck. Right. There are plenty mm-hmm. of royalty-free music vendors where you can just buy the music and use it. And what you mm-hmm. have to be just careful of and aware of is everybody can use that music. And right. you will see or you will hear that music as you get familiar with what you've bought. You'll hear mm-hmm. it in other commercials. Or you'll hear mm-hmm. it in other TV shows right. because other people are using it. So you just want to be careful that what you choose is not the most popular piece that they sell. Mm-hmm. You, you right. want to choose something that's sort of a little on the obscure side. But most of it's very generic. Most of it's very high quality in terms of production quality. Um, it's not exactly memorable music, but it gives you a musical theme or a signature that you can hang a podcast on. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and more importantly, it's legal. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, people say, oh, well, if I only use 10 seconds or 20 seconds of a song, I'll be okay. The chances are you probably will not get in trouble. But, um, you know, if you're doing this for a corporate client, you don't want to expose a corporation to a licensing or copyright infringement claim from a large record company because they have legions of lawyers and it's just not worth exposing a corporate client to that kind Mm -hmm. of lawsuit. And I'll tell you, if you do it once, it'll be the last time you do it. Yes. You know, and, and I always say the same thing with images, you know, just going and searching images.google.com and saying, Ooh, copy, you know, I'm going to copy this. No. Yeah. Well, as a, (laughs) as a commercial photographer for hire, I will uh, tell you that no, you cannot use the images that you find on the internet. And I have had images uh, used by people without permission and I've had them Mm -hmm. take them down. And there Mm -hmm. is a very strict copyright law called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, or DMCA. And if someone wants to pursue you uh, and you use a photograph or their content against their wishes and you don't rapidly respond to a takedown request, uh, you could Mm -hmm. find yourself exposed to treble damages. That means three times the value. And that could Mm -hmm. be very, very pricey. So you want to avoid doing that. And of course, the reason for this is that's how those people, whether it's a musician or a photographer or a graphic artist, that's how they make their money. Yes, thank you. You know, and <laughs> and you know, and and so just stealing it, you know, and I, I'm just going to say that word, you know, is is not acceptable. And and the the nice thing is there are so many other avenues out there to make sure that you're doing it properly. If you really like a photograph or a piece of music, contact the composer, contact the right. photographer, and ask how much it would cost to license mm-hmm. it. It's as simple right. as that. Yeah. Well, holy cow, Steve. You know, this this has been fascinating. And I definitely will have you on again because this is something that 
as I mentioned, so many people are telling me, oh, I want to do this. I want to get into doing this. And I think for some of the people, it could truly turn into a business service like you do that that they provide to someone else. So we will definitely have you on again. Wonderful. I appreciate it. If people have uh, questions or comments, they can uh, reach me through the uh, book website. It's thebusinessofpodcasting.com. There's also uh, links to other podcast interviews that Donna and I have done and of course, uh, links to Amazon where you can buy the book in Kindle or in the trade paperback version. Perfect. And where else do they find about information about you? My uh, primary website for my business is beingthemedia.com, and that will take you to my website where we have examples of all the audio and video and other multimedia work that we do for our clients. Perfect. I love it. Well, I've been having a great time so talking with. Yeah, this is so much fun. And <clears throat> knock on wood, so I'm knocking on my head. Um, you know, technology cooperated with us. We love that. But we've been talking with Steve Lubetkin about his book that he co-authored with Donna Papacosta. It's called The Business of Podcasting, How to Take Your Podcasting Passion from the Personal to the Professional. And again, Steve, thank you so much. Oh, thanks a lot, Deb. It's been fun. Great. Well, to everyone out there, have an absolutely fabulous day. Thanks for listening to Deb Career, your social media friend. Tune in next time to listen to more great tips, techniques, and trends for using social media. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.